Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, as always, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. Before we get rocking and rolling in today's episode, as always, this podcast is brought to you by BetOnline, which is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, golf, and, of course, college football and the NFL. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information, from live in-game betting to prop bets and future bets. So head on over to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, so let's get into today's podcast. There is a lot to dissect and get into as we sit here on this beautiful Wednesday night, August 31st, just a few hours away from the start of September, which is also the start and first month of the NFL season. This is my first podcast since the news that came out about Brian Robinson Jr. And I wanted to address that really quick as it was obviously a extremely unfortunate and, and just a somber, sad event that that uh that occurred in northeast washington just a few days ago um we've heard all the news um you've heard everything is probably surrounding brian and his health and first things first prayers that he remains healthy and that's the main thing who you know it's not about him being able to run a football that that's the least of everyone's worries um we're worried if brian robinson is going to be healthy for him um to be you know the man that he is the the son that he is a potential father in the future that that's the type you know those are things that we're more worried about more than him what he's going to be as a potential ball carrier for this Washington offense and I kind of want to start that you know the podcast out with that and just my remarks towards the event which is just extremely sad um, considering the gun violence in this country and things have to change it's been something that we've talked about for a long time in this country and it's unfortunate that it happens to one of our own um it, it always, I know for a lot of you, made you think back to 07 and the Sean Taylor tragedy. Tragedy. Um, it's just it's just not good. It, it, it's sad. It, it really is. Um, but for this podcast, um, you know, I want to stay as positive as possible. We're going to get into the 53-man roster, the cuts that were made, why they were made, who was added since to the practice squad, additions from other teams that were made that I have questions about. Um, but wanted to address B-Rob. Glad that he's feeling good back in the building, and hopefully we can see him back on the field sometime soon in the near future, number eight in the Burgundy and Golden. What a story it will be. But all right, so let's move in, and let's dissect this 53-man roster. Initial, a lot of things still to change, even though we sit here with some moves already made here on Wednesday night. And I want to go position group by position group. And I really want to kind of take their layers off here and really give you guys a deep dive as to what Washington's roster right now will look like as they head into week one against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So let's start on the offensive side of the ball. 
At quarterback, there's no surprises here. It's Carson Wentz, Taylor Heineke, and Sam Howell. It's Carson Wentz's job to lose. Taylor Heineke remains one of the best best backups in football. He is. And Sam Howell is that guy in the wings. I just actually recently wrote on him for a written piece for the draftnetwork.com. If you want to head over there and check that out, that came out this afternoon. Kind of his future in Washington and the positives that we saw of him and the action that he saw in each of the preseason games against Carolina, Kansas City, and Baltimore. But those are the three. It's Wentz, Heineke, and Howell, and those are three guys that you think you can win with, and I'm very happy with the position right now, considering the past and the carousel that has consistently turned under center for Washington. So I like the three bodies that they have under center this year to lead them this fall. Running back, Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, Brian Robinson, some of the 53 right now, and Jonathan Williams. Cuts were Reggie Bonafone and Jarrett Patterson. One of the fan favorites, former UDFA out of the University of Buffalo. But look at Gibson, McKissick, Robinson, Williams. I'm extremely happy for Jonathan Williams. He's someone that's, he's almost like a cockroach in the NFL. You know, you can't get rid of him. Um, but he runs hard, runs behind his pads. He's someone that wants to run over you and run around you. I like that type of ball carrier. And that's obviously that what Ron Rivera, running backs coach Randy Jordan, like. We saw in the back half of last year the kind of pop that he has when he's able to come in, whether it's on short down and distances or just able to come in and fill in some snaps if they need him to. And he's able to do that. I'm not sure how many snaps he'll get this year with the names in front of him. But right now, he is that fourth running back on the roster that if he's pushing to some snaps, if there were injuries or anything like that to happen, he could be that guy. Um, and Tony Gibson, well, Tony Gibson's RB1 right now. We do not have a timeline or a timetable on Brian Robinson's injury right now. Again, like I said at the start of this pod, hoping for his health right now. That's the main thing. Not worried about him rushing to get on the field. Um, But it's Antonio Gibson's RB1 job again to lose. And when we, you know, just a few weeks ago and Brian Robinson was taking all the carries against the Chiefs, he looked like the top running back. And I believe he will when he gets fully healthy, which I fully expect him to be in, in return to the Brian Robinson that we know he can be for this offense. Antonio Gibson's the guy. J.D. McKissick is the guy. This is exactly the duo that we had last year, the last two years. It's Gibson and McKissick. And then you had rotational guys in Williams and Patterson. But it's going to be Antonio Gibson getting a lot of work on first and second down, and J.D. McKissick coming in on third down. Barring any injury, that's how it's going to be. And those two guys are dynamic athletes. They can do a lot of different things. We've seen them do a lot of different things in the past. But if Antonio Gibson whether it's week one against the Jaguars, week two against the Lions, week three against the Eagles, he's continually put the ball on the ground, then we're going to have issues. Especially if we don't know, again, what Robinson's timeline will be. And if they have to thrust Jonathan Williams into early down carries or J.D. McKissick in early down carries, the ceiling of this offense is going to be extremely limited because they do not have the backs that they need to be healthy and be productive if Gibson is putting the ball on the ground. Because remember, he is one of the most dynamic talents in the NFL at the running back spot when he's able to keep the ball in his hands and when he gets the ball in space. And remember, he was a top three rusher in the NFC last year. He has the pop necessary, the frame, the juice inside, outside the tackles, the ability in space to catch passes. He can do all of that, but he's just got to hold on to the football. So the running back's room right now is a deep one. I think it's one of the Washington's most you know, positional groups with the most depth. It was kind of a question just a few days ago after the Brian Robinson injury, if they were potentially going to make a move for a guy like Alexander Madison or try to sign a Kenyon Drake. Um, 
Now we know that Kenyon is now in Baltimore or a veteran move for someone like Marlon Mack, who was released from the Houston Texans yesterday, only to be signed to their practice squad this afternoon. They didn't make any moves. They're fine with their four that they have. And the biggest thing for that, which makes me excited about Brian Robinson's timeline, is they cut Jared Patterson. If Brian Robinson, if they did not have kind of a, a positive outlook on his future, they would have kept Jared Patterson. But releasing him, and obviously someone that has proven that he has some juice and has been here and knows the offense... Jarrett's gone, and Brian Robinson. I mean, I'm just ex- I'm extremely happy that he ha- will potentially move forward and have that ability to compete for Washington. And it's almost a, a you don't want to think of it as a case of bad luck. I don't want to say it like that. I don't. But sometimes it just feels like why Washington? Why the Commanders? Have a great preseason story. Kids running his tail off, creating here, creating there. Earned the RB1 spot, stole it from Antonio Gibson this this summer, and then just unfortunate, sorry, wrong place, wrong time, terrible act. However, it's next man up. Antonio Gibson is going to take reins of this offense as we move forward into the start of the regular season, and that's what they have to hope for, that he holds on to the football. Because remember, Antonio Gibson's been the guy here for the last two seasons, and if, it, Rob, if Brian Robinson wasn't the guy that he was this summer or Antonio Gibson holds on to the ball, the first few series against the Panthers, we're probably not even talking about Robinson as RB1. Gibson is still the guy here that will get a ton of touches. So this is also another wake-up call for him to look say, hey, this is your opportunity again to prove that this is your backfield to run with. So from there, let's go to wide, the wide receivers and a group that I'm extremely excited about. Guys that are kind of have similar skill sets that can run a little bit, do every a couple things at every different level of the defense. Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Jahan Dotson, Deami Brown, Cam Sims, and Dax Milne gets that wide receiver six spot that we've talked about. That was kind of between him, Alex Erickson, Mark and Michelle, Kyrick McGowan, and Alex Erickson's gone. We saw in that final preseason game, he didn't show a lot of juice. As a punt returner or kick returner, Dax Milne did. Dax also worsened a lot of targets in this preseason matchups. But guys like Matt Cole, Kyrick McGowan, I was hopeful for Mark and Michelle. One of the earlier pods a couple weeks ago, I talked about the story of Mark and Michelle, a former CFL guy. He's worked his way up. He's earned everything. Um, you kind of hate to see guys like that leave and not just, you know get an opportunity kind of Years past, a guy like Rashad Ross or a guy like Brandon Banks that stood out in the preseason ultimately made the 53. But hopefully, you know, Markin is able to lock on somewhere else, whether it's in the NFL or an opportunity elsewhere. He could he can play, and it's just kind of a, a numbers game right now that he got caught up in with the names in front of him. But this group is really exciting, especially if Curtis Samuel can stay healthy. I don't know what to think about Deami Brown right now because I'm starting Cam Sims and Dax Milne over Deami right now, considering what I saw in the preseason in all facets. I don't care if he was on designated touches on the outside, he was running nine routes, dropping balls by the end zone, working over the middle of the field and scared to take a hit from a downhill safety or blocking on the outside of tunnel screen against Kansas City. There were just a lot of situations coming off of a rookie year where he was extremely disappointing and dealt with injuries for the majority of the year. That makes me feel that I want to put a six foot four, six foot five Cam Sims out on the perimeter or someone that's tough as nails within the interior, Dax Milne, who's a lot like Adam Humphreys last year, to create for me. 
And we know that this offense is going to be funneled through guys like Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson, who are going to get a ton of targets if healthy. And that's the main thing here is always health, health, health. But we know that the offense is going to funnel through number 17 and the rookie in Dotson. Curtis Samuel is going to get a lot of designated touches. We've seen that he's hopefully, you know, getting up to that 90, 95, and hopefully he's at 100% when the Jaguars come to town. He's going to be doing a lot of that jet sweep, that orbit motion pre-snap, working into some designated touches, getting him in yards after catch scenarios, getting the ball in his hands quick off the line of scrimmage, whether he's in the slot, whether he's on the outside. These guys can do a lot of different things because of the speed that they have in the perimeter. All these guys can run. We know Terry and Jahan can run. We know Curtis can run. We saw what he did at Ohio State and at Carolina. He provides a completely different dynamic to counter as a defense when he's able to get the ball in his hands at full speed. Cam Sims, whether he's just a red area threat right now remains to be seen, but I want him within the 20s going over smaller corners, smaller safeties. He's someone that is an alpha in the air that does deserve more targets. For me, I'm in the biggest component of you can play, you're on the field. I don't care where you were drafted. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care what the last name is on the back of your jersey. If you can ball, you can ball. And I don't care if you went to University of Arkansas Pine Bluff and you're a UDFA or you're a first rounder at the University of Alabama. If you could play, I'm playing you over someone else. That's just a bottom line. There is no hierarchy from my standpoint. And Cam Sims, now he is a guy from Alabama. Um, it feels like anybody that gets on the field for Nick Saban gets drafted in the NFL or at least gets an opportunity in the, in the bigs. But Cam Sims is someone that's extremely underused in this offense over the last few years. We saw his production in that playoff game against the Buccaneers with Taylor Heineke two years back. He's someone that can produce under fire. And if you want him to be a red zone threat, he can be that. If you want him to offer some unique packages, if you want to throw Logan Thomas on the field, at six foot six, you want to put Cole Turner or John Bates or if Armani Rogers gets some snaps as that QB convert that Logan Thomas exactly what he was. Maybe they see that kind of transition for Armani, similar to what Logan did. Um, but there is a lot of options within this receivers room to do a lot of different things. Both if you want to work in the slot on the outside and from a designated touches standpoint to get the ball out of Carson Wentz's hands early as he becomes more comfortable in schematically learning this offense. So from there, let's go to tight ends. Logan Thomas, John Bates, Cole Turner, Curtis Hodges, and Armani Rodgers. Cuts were Jake Hausman and Kendall Blanton, who they brought over a couple days ago from the Super Bowl champion, LA Rams. Logan Thomas looks, he's getting there. He's not 100% by any means. We didn't see him this preseason, so he's gonna be thrust into the fire week one against the Jaguars, but I think we know what we're going to get from number 82 when he's on the field. He's someone that's extremely dynamic over the middle of the field. It just offers these advantageous matchups against slower linebackers, against smaller safeties. This is a tight end that I am higher on than most, not just because you know I do have that Washington bias, but as someone that has worked his tail off as a former quarterback at Virginia Tech was drafted in the fourth round by Arizona, and then come to Washington, spent time in Buffalo, spent time in Detroit, and really made a name for himself as a flex weapon in this league. And now he's become a potentially you know, top 10, 12 tight end in football and someone for this Washington offense that they need healthy for them to reach their ceiling because of what he does over the middle of the field and what he can do after the catch 
as well. He's excellent in the red area or catching the ball seven, eight yards downfield, turning, making two guys miss and turning an eight yard catch into a 17, 18 yard game. Long strides, big body, likes to run over people. Now he's not John Bates by any means as far as being able to move men in the run game. John was excellent last year. He's the best rookie blocker of any tight end in football by far, in my opinion. He was dominant. Cole Turner has a long way to go on that aspect, but those two guys have to get healthy first before we see them on the field. And then behind them, you got Armani Rodgers and Curtis Hodges. Now, Hodges was just placed on IR, but Armani Rodgers is somebody that we've seen this preseason and camp get a ton of work with the ones. We saw him in live action against Carolina and Kansas City. Remember that Carolina game? He was targeted four times within the first two series offensively by Carson Wentz. He's somebody that the coaching staff remains high on. Now, it remains to be seen if he's somebody that's going to get a ton of touches in week one, working in 12 personnel opposite Logan Thomas. But who knows what the timetable is for Turner and for Bates. And if they're not able to return, it is going to be Armani Rogers as that second tight end on the field. And again, you work with who you got. I don't care who it is. Coach them up, develop them, get them to where you want to be for week one against the Jacksonville Jaguars in an athletic linebacking core that I'll get into when we get in the X's and O's of Washington versus Jacksonville. But the names of Devin Lloyd, draft pick out of Utah, Chad Muma, draft pick out of Wyoming, Foye Olakun, one of the leading tacklers in the NFL last year. They brought him in from Atlanta. We know they have Josh Allen. It's kind of that edge rusher, an athletic guy that can buzz out on tight ends and running backs. They have athletes on that first and second level for Jacksonville that will not, they won't make it easy, you know, it won't be easy for Washington side ends to run eight-yard dig routes and sit over the middle of the field. They got athletes that can cover and that can run and can make plays in the football. So if Armani Rogers is thrown into the fire in week one, you know, welcome to the league, Rook. Welcome to the league. So from there, let's hop over to the big boys. And I want to talk about the offensive line. Not really any surprises here. The depth guys are kind of the same. Wes Martin came in last week and he was initially waived. But Charles Leno, Andrew Norwell, Trace Roulier, Trey Turner, Sam Cosme, Wes Schweitzer, Cornelius Lucas, rookie Chris Paul out of Tulsa. And I want to talk about the last guy. Sadiq Charles made the roster. Someone that had a lot of questions heading in to this offseason and his, you know, his potential as far as making the 53. And for now, Sadiq is on the roster, but he is someone that I don't think Washington knows what to do with right now. Is he a tackle? It's what they drafted him to be. Is he a guard? He's got heavy feet, and I'm not sure if he has the, the sand in his pants to move bodies, one text and three texts in the interior. Are they going to go to him in a pinch scenario? If Wes Schweitzer or Trey Turner or Andrew Norwell were to go out at guard, I I don't think so. I think one of those three, Norwell, Schweitzer, or, or Turner, I think if Norwell or Turner are your starters, right now it could be Schweitzer at right guard because Trey Turner's been, been banged up the entire preseason. They're going to go to Wes as that swing guard and then at tackle, or Chris Paul, who's a rookie, and then at tackle, your swing guy is Cornelius Lucas, which he's been here for the last few years at left tackle and right tackle. Kind of that role that Ty Seki, if any of you guys out there remember that name, kind of the role that he played when he was here in Washington. So similar names along that front five right now. If you're going to look at the week one starters, just because Turner is hurt, you're going to go left tackle is Charles Leno, left guard, Andrew Norwell, 
Center, Chase Roulier, right guard, Wes Schweitzer, and right tackle is Sam Cosme, working into his second year. Notable cuts, Aaron Montero, John Toth is back on the practice squad, and then we talked a little bit about Wes Martin. So let's hop over to the defensive side of the ball before we get in to guys that they've recently added and kind of want to dive into that just a little bit more after I know a lot of you guys were bantering a little bit back on forth with me on Twitter today as far as some things I had to say about some of their additions that they made in waiver claims this afternoon. So on defense, no surprises at D-tackle. Starts with John Allen, Dron Payne, second round pick, Federian Mathis, and Daniel Wise, who I was extremely impressed with this preseason playing both three-tech and five-tech. So we got a little bit of work working over the guards and centers and then sliding out working over offensive tackles. Um, he was impressive in the preseason. I saw some pop from him against the Kansas City Chiefs in that back end of that game. Someone that can consistently, not consistently, but he's able to, to do a little bit in the interior to make you think that he, if he has to come in and provide a breather for Payne or Allen, that he could push the pocket a little bit or you know, clog some gaps in the run game and make some plays for you. So those are the names up front, four of them. Allen, Payne, Matheson, Wise, Tyler Clark, Justin Hamilton, Rakutz, David Bottas backed on the practice squad as an international pathway program that does not count towards Washington's practice squad amount. At the end, Montez Sweat, James Smith-Williams, Casey Tuhill, F.A. Obata, and Shaka Tony. Notable cuts, Will Bradley King is back on the practice squad, and Jacob Panasiak was a rookie out of Michigan State that spent a lot of time on special teams during the preseason. I uh, wanted to see more of him out on the edge, and I just did not see that. But as we know, Chase Young is going to miss at least the first four games of the season. Um, I'm looking forward to 99 getting back healthy. Uh, this defense needs him healthy for them to reach their ceiling on defense. I know I talk about ceiling a lot, but for this team to reach that to not just scratch the surface of what they can be, but ultimately reach that 10-win, 11-win threshold, win an NFC East title, potentially win a a playoff game, and and put yourself in a position to catch some momentum and see what happens. Anything can happen in the postseason. They need Chase Young healthy. But the names that are there there now, you play with who you got. Montez Sweat, Smith-Williams, Tuhill, Obata, and Tony. I'm really excited for Shaka Tony. I think he's going to get some rotational snaps in the early part of this year, someone that's extremely explosive off the edge. I'm not going to ask him to anchor against tackles in the run game and make some plays on the outside and, and make some TFL lo- tackles for loss. Uh, I'm not going to ask him to do that right now. You know, I'm going to leave that to Sweat and, and guys like Tuhill, and hopefully that F.A. Obata can kind of wrangle in some of that success that he had in Carolina, a little bit that he had last year along that Buffalo Bills front seven. Um, but Shaka is someone that has that quick first step off the edge, show, showcase the ability to use his hands, to the inside, counter to the outside, place his foot in the ground, have a nice spin move to the inside, has a nice uh, club rip move that he likes to display. Often he did it at Penn State. He's done it a little bit the back end of last year, did it in camp this year a little bit. Um, I'm excited to see more from Shaka Tony moving him into year two. He's got a full season under his belt now. Now, granted, he spent some time last year inactive and in street clothes, but the more snaps, the better. And with Chase Young out, it's gonna be on guys like Hill and Tony on the opposite side of Montez Sweat to get after the quarterback. They flat out have to. Um, Montez, I have expectations just like you guys do for him to reach 10, 11, 12 sacks this year, hopefully. That's what we've been waiting for for him as a first round pick out of Mississippi State. We know what he and Young could be as a dynamic tandem, one of the most elite pass rush tandems in football. Have they reached that ceiling yet? Absolutely not. But when they're both healthy and Chase gets back, 
Hopefully, you know, both they could reach that 10-sack amount. We'll see this year. But it's going to be Montez's defensive front to run with. He's the leader up front alongside John Allen and Ron Payne. And I'm going to be extremely ex- intrigued to see how Montez takes these first you know, month of the season with Chase on the shelf and see how he runs with this opportunity as the lead dog off the edge. So from there, let's jump back to the second unit. Excuse me, the second level, a linebacker, Cole Holcomb, Jamin Davis, Milo Eifler. All right, David Mayo and Dejon Harris initially made the final 53. They were cut today. Kalik Hudson was also cut, who's back on the practice squad. I want to dive in a little bit to Kalik Hudson. Someone that, if you guys are familiar with the pod, you listen to pods in the past, I am someone that was high on Kalik Hudson out of Michigan. He played that jack spot within Jim Harbaugh's defense. The same spot, if you're not familiar with the Wolverines defense, that Jabril Peppers played, that Dax Hill first rounder for the Bengals this past April played. That safety hybrid linebacker spot that does a lot of different things at every single level of the defense. And Kalik was that big, physical, rocked up guy, had an NFL ready frame entering Washington when he had his first camp just a few years ago. And someone that I was excited about because every defense needs players with that skill set nowadays, kind of that, that hybrid. That, needs, that can play everything, that can roll back and, and cover in man, buzz out on a tight end, blitz up the A-gaps, or fill in the run game and blow up a 220-pound linebacker. That's what you need nowadays. And Cleek Hudson, I thought initially that he was going to be that guy. And now he's on the practice squad. Could he still be that guy? Maybe. I'm all for player development. I love player development. I, I don't expect someone to come in right away and immediately be... Lawrence Taylor. I, I don't. I, I know it takes time. I, I've kind of been on that train with Jamin Davis. It takes a little bit of time for these guys to realize, for the game to slow down and realize their potential when everything kind of comes together on either side of the ball and especially between the years. But for Kalik, it just hasn't come together. And he was potentially that Buffalo nickel that we know is so important in Jack Del Rio's defense. I thought he was going to be that guy. And then Washington last few years drafts Derek Forrest out of Cincinnati. He could have been that Buffalo nickel. That's it was kind of that eye-opener for Kalik Hudson is adding a similar type player, even though Forrest was a primary safety at the University of Cincinnati. But it just it hasn't come together yet for Kalik. And I hope that if he does get another opportunity where he's able to suit up on game day, that he's potentially able to reach that ceiling that Washington thought that he, the player that he could be when they took him out of Michigan in the middle rounds. So from the linebackers room, even though today, again, I'm going to get in to who they added. David Mayo is gone. He's gone. David Mayo's gone. Great. Cool. Milo Eifler is, is still there. Dejon Harris is gone. I'm going to get to who they added. It's a familiar name. If you're not, you didn't see their moves this afternoon. It's a very familiar name. Um, so let's jump to the corners. Kendall Fuller, William Jackson, Benjamin St. Juiced, Christian Holmes. Four guys initially made the 53. There's now six on the roster. Get to it in a sec. But those are your guys. Kendall Fuller, Jackson, St. Juiced in year two, and rookie, seventh round pick out of Oklahoma State, Christian Holmes. I have questions, and a lot of them. And this is where I want to start with the additions that Washington made today. Tariq Castro-Fields and Rashad Wild Goose. Yes, 
Rashad Wild Goose out of Wisconsin, and Tariq Castro Fields, former product of the Penn State University. For all you Nittany Lion fans out there, I know there's a lot of you out there in the Mid Atlantic region. Let's start with Tariq. And I know a lot of you have questions. I know you guys get excited when you hear new names or someone that you're not familiar with. I spent a lot of time studying Tariq this past year. Again, here at the Draft Network, we have hundreds and hundreds of player reports up, scouting reports on players. Uh, it's what we do on a daily basis. It's, it's, we look at not just you know, the top 100 players. We look at guys that are UDFA, seventh rounders, guys that are coming out of Montana State, guys that are coming out of UAB, Florida Atlantic, FIU, not just your SEC Blue Blood programs, your Penn States, your ACC headliners, your Oregons, your USC's. We dive into all the teams in the FBS and lower levels to find out who can ball. And I studied Tariq a lot. He was at the Senior Bowl. We got a ton of eyes on him, our whole scouting staff, myself. We were down in Mobile in February. He's someone that's extremely underwhelming. And why I say that is because, sure, he is athletic. I'll give him that. But Ron Rivera has made it a habit of grabbing athletes. Shaka Tony, Sam Cosme, Derek Forrest, Jahan Dotson. All these guys are big-time athletes. But not all athletes are good football players. Let me say that again. All athletes are not good football players. All right? Just because you can run a 4-3, which Castro Fields ran, not just because you can jump out of the gym or look good in t-shirt and shorts means you can play football. And it said a lot for me with the Niners using draft capital to take a guy like Tariq for him to not even play an NFL snap, to be comfortable releasing him before he ever played an NFL snap for the Niners. And a defense in San Francisco that's going to be a top 13 unit, top 10 unit in football, headed by D'Amico Ryans, who's one of the young, best young defensive coordinators in all of football. We've seen the defensive talent that, that Niners had, the Niners have within their front seven. I know they're a little weak on that back seven, and they wanted a guy like Tariq Castro Fields to step up this year. And they used draft capital to do so. But right now, the guy is athletic, but has a long, long, long way to go as a football player. Now, I know you guys are talking to me on Twitter. Oh, but Ryan, why do you have issues if he's a CB5? Isn't that someone that's a project that you want to get to uh, down the line? That's, a, that's kind of the perfect project for, for bringing a guy in to be the back end of your roster. Well, here's my issue is that we already have questions with Fuller, Jackson, and St. Just as corners for Washington. We have questions schematically what Jack Del Rio wants to do. They play a lot of zone, and then sometimes they play some man, but not well. And for Tariq, someone that is, you know, he can run linear, a lot like Troy Apke did out of Penn State, and... Tariq is another guy out of Penn State. I would not trust him if Fuller, Jackson, or St. Juice were to miss any amount of time. Then now you're looking at Castro Fields becoming potentially that CB3 on the field or CB4. And if playing hypotheticals here, I get it. But let's just say Kendall Fuller and St. Juice were to miss one game. Say they miss week five. Right then and there, William Jackson is your starting corner. Christian Holmes is your starting other corner, a seventh rounder rookie out of Oklahoma State. And then you got Tariq Castro Fields as your next CB on the board. After that, 
It's Wild Goose as the guy behind him. This is why I have questions. Because as happy, as, as past happy as teams are nowadays, you have to have rotational depth for where I don't care if it's CB8. I don't care if it's CB88 on your depth chart. They have to be able to step in in a moment's notice and produce. We know that offenses, I just talked about the, the wide receivers that Washington has, five, six deep that can make plays. Washington has questions within their starting three corners right now. Three. What, why would it make me happy to believe that, oh, just because Tariq can run, that he could be a CB3 or CB4 in this defense? Because right now we're sitting here saying that Kendall Fuller, William Jackson, and Benjamin St. Juice are going to stay healthy, God willing, for 17 full games, a 17 game slate, 18 weeks total, including the bye. No injuries at all. That just doesn't happen in the NFL, and especially in Washington. You guys have seen it in the past. Staying healthy, especially on the defensive side of the ball, has been rare for Washington over the last few years and really dating into the last decade. It just doesn't happen. And you know that Jack Del Rio doesn't want corners to travel. So it's not going to be William Jackson covering the CeeDee Lambs, Devonta Smith, A.J. Browns, and Kadarius Toney, Kenny Galladay's every single week and traveling around like Jalen Ramsey does or Trey White does in Buffalo a little bit for their defense. It just doesn't happen. So whatever side the teams can choose to go to, or you're playing, you're playing the Eagles, and one side you got William Jackson, and say Kendall Fuller's hurt. That's right. Let's let's go pick on Benjamin St. Juice. And who you got in the slot? You're gonna bring Danny Johnson up from the practice squad. You're gonna throw in a rookie Christian Holmes over AJ Brown in the slot, or they flex out Dallas Goddard. You guys are starting to understand where I'm getting with this because I I understand these guys are NFL players, but. I know you guys have a lot of questions on Twitter. Ryan, did you watch these guys? <laughs> yes. I-, I watched a lot of Tariq Castro-Fields. And he was someone where his- I-, I didn't want to finish his tape because he's just a-, a kid right now that doesn't look like he can play at the NFL level. Again, I'm all for player development. I want people to be able to be coached. I think Washington has the coaching staff to do so and coach them up. I hope Tariq extremely proves me wrong. But I felt like there were some, I wanted Washington to be a little bit more aggressive in adding a potential veteran, someone that may fit their scheme a little bit better or more experience on the outside that has some NFL snaps under their belt, playing man, playing zone at the NFL level already. Not a rookie out of Penn State where you look at that joint scrimmage. I put a tweet up earlier of, of Tariq in one rep against the Vikings. Now it wasn't against Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne. Amir Smith-Marset, who the Vikings cut today, it wasn't any of those guys. It was a bottom-of-the-roster Vikings player, and Tariq was completely lost, like he's never played the corner position before. Now, I get it. It's one rep. But you look at the body of work that he had at Penn State. You look at the body of work that he had at the Senior Bowl against guys that are now in the NFL, a majority in the NFL. It was ugly. And I know there was a good rep that's circling around Twitter of him making a play against Alec Pierce. That is, well, first off, uh, tip of the cap to him. Uh, decent play with his hands on the ball, but it's an underthrown ball that Alec Pierce had to come back to. It's, it's just reaching for positives right now for me. And I just have questions because this is a, a positional room that we know we had a lot of questions heading into this summer as far as what they were going to do behind the starting three in a year where... 
Kendall Fuller is now starting opposite of William Jackson. Benjamin St. Juice is over the nickel. Where they going to move Kendall Fuller back inside? Because remember, again, he did some of that in Kansas City. He did that in his first stint in Washington, and he played a lot of that in college at Virginia Tech. And move St. Juice to the outside and have him and Jackson as those longer 6'2", 6'3", corners that can reroute and, and disrupt those X wideouts at the line of scrimmage. I just don't know from a depth standpoint right now if any of those guys in Castro Fields, Holmes, and Wild Goose. Now, Corn Elder is back on the practice squad. I liked Corn. I think he makes some plays. He's kind of that Tory McTire story that we saw last year. I think Corn could do a potential decent job if he comes into some reps. I would 100% play him over Danny Johnson, Castro Fields, or Wild Goose. It's can't believe I'm saying a guy named Wild Goose on the roster. We have, we have a corn elder and a Wild Goose. Cross that off the bingo card. Um, I just have to work on the depth was a major question. And uh, schematically, we had the questions, what they're doing on third down. This soft shoe coverage of six, seven, eight yards off on third downs. I still have a lot of questions and I want to be proven wrong. And hopefully I have to put my shoe in my mouth on Tariq uh, moving forward and, and Wild Goose as well. But just because you can run fast and just because you're a decent athlete, again, does not make you a good football player. And I already had questions about the starting three. Now, rotationally, if these guys were to come in and play significant snaps, which you may have to have in case of in any type of injury, I don't even care if it's a game. It may be two or three plays or two or three series on the field. That can change a ball game. You have to have players that can compete rotationally right now. And I don't know if Tariq Castro-Fields and Rashad Wild Goose are ready to do that in my opinion. So from there, let's jump back to the safeties room, which I'm excited about, the safeties. I, I like the safety room. There's guys with a bunch of pop. Cam Curl, Bobby McCain, Derek Forrest, Percy Butler, and Jeremy Reeves. First off, tip of the cap, man, to Jeremy Reeves. The kid flat out balls, and I, and I just love people that bring their lunch pail to work every day, stick in their face in the mud, and, and, just, and just doesn't care. He talked about it today he consistently makes you know he keeps his suitcase packed as someone that doesn't know what each day holds he just takes what takes care of what he can take care of and controls what he can can control control the effort control his preparation you saw him make plays all preseason long I tweeted a clip out a couple days ago of him making a play in the line of scrimmage on a toss play blowing up the ankles of the running back that's Jeremy Reeves in a nutshell he's been there for the last few years and we know him as a special teams core player I would like to see him get some work as a sub-package safety working down near the box that Landon Collins did a lot last year. If they want to put him at that Buffalo nickel, if Derek Forrest or if Percy Butler aren't ready to do that, or if they want to work Benjamin St. Juice as that a little bit as well, let Jeremy Reeves do that. I think he's someone that can wear that hat. I think he's someone that is not afraid to, to get downhill, make plays in, in the backfield, cover guys outside. Now, am I going to ask him to buzz out on receivers and cover them 15, 20 yards downfield? No. But if you ask him to work into some cover two and read downhill, make some plays on the ball over the top, I think he could do that. And and with ease. Uh, he understands this defense. I think that's a reason why Ron Rivera kept him in town as someone that is for very familiar with Jack Del Rio's scheme as a guy within that back four. Um, but Cam Curl was in a sling today at practice. I'm sure he will be fine moving forward. They're going to need him to be okay. Bobby McCain is that veteran presence on the back end. And then you look at guys like Percy Butler and Forrest. 
those two potential Buffalo Nichols or special teams core athletes right now. But I'm excited for their potential because they're just two ball hawks that want to work downhill and blow your chin strap off. I love that. We've seen the range from Percy Butler. You turn on his film at Louisiana, someone range into center field like he's Willie Mays. You know, this is someone that can run sideline to sideline, hash to hash, whatever you want to say, play cover one a little bit, be that single high safety. He can do a little bit of that for you. Um, remember, he is still a rookie, so he's going to experience some things that he's going to see offensively that he may have some speed bumps. But I'm not, I don't think he's going to work into 65, 75% defensive snaps this year. I think he'll probably be around 35, 30% of the defensive snaps this fall, working behind Cam Curl, Bobby McCain, Derek Forrest and Jeremy Reeves. I think he has a ton of talent. You know, speaking of Butler, someone that obviously Washington thought high of with a, using a mid-round pick on him and someone that is just going to, I feel like, make plays and grow with the more snaps that he gets. So this safeties room is extremely exciting for me. Again, Cam Curl, Bobby McCain, Derek Forrest, Percy Butler, and Jeremy Reeves. And then from there, special teams, same guys. Joey Sly, Tress Way, Cameron Cheeseman, Real quick, on the specialists, um, Joey Sly and the kicking game. Um, we saw all the names last year, whoever came through, right? We saw it, talked about it on, on last week's pod. Sam Howell, first drive of their game against Baltimore, drives down the field, Joey Sly misses a 43-yarder. All you saw on Twitter, Joey Sly, 60-yarder here, 60-yarder there, 55 here. Oh, it looks easy in pregame. Please just make your field goals when it comes time to. I know that's been a long running narrative with this Washington offense. Oh, they're not able to put it in the end zone. We didn't get six here. Hopefully that becomes a narrative that is washed away this season where they're able to get in the red area and Carson Wentz and company are able to put it in the end zone and get six on the board. But if they aren't, and Joey Sly has to come in for 45 yarder here, 39 yarder there, 43 here. If he has to attempt five, six field goals a game, knock them through. Remember, Dustin Hopkins was a surprising cut last year, but he was one of the most consistent kickers in football, even though at times he was someone that, you know, would miss an extra point here or miss a clutch kick. Overall, he was consistent. That's why he was here for so long with Nick Sundberg and obviously Tressway in Washington as that tandem of, of specialists that we could have counted on for the final 53 for the last five to seven years. They were. But for Joey Sly, as a connection roster spot, that Ron knew from Carolina. Make your field goals. Do the little things, the fundamentals. Execute the little things. Extra points. Field goals under 40 yards, 43 yards. We know those right now are pooch, are pooch kicks for guys in NFL. Please, it's your job. It's your one job. Do the little things and execute the fundamentals so this offense is able to put as much points on the board when they aren't able to get into the end zone. I hate relying on kickers. I hate it. Put the ball in the end zone, you don't have to. But if you have to rely on your guy, and Joey Sly, put the ball through the uprights at a consistent clip. So last thing I wanted to talk about in this episode is John Bostic. <laughs> Washington re-signed John Bostic to come in as a guy that obviously knows this defense, he's back at the second level. So right now, it's Jamin Davis, Cole Holcomb, and Milo Eifler, and John Bostic at the second level. 
another spot where if any injury were to occur to Jamin Davis and Cole Holcomb, you're certain you're going to be scrounging for bodies, which is worrisome. Whether they think that potentially Derek Forrest maybe could come down and play some, some, some snaps at the second level or Jeremy Reeves that we just talked about could potentially do that. They're going to need some bodies at the second level. And I, we saw what John Bostic, we all know what John Bostic is. He's a downhill gap filler in the run that will get you 90 to 95 tackles a year. But when you ask him to work in coverage or roll back, flip his hips, get over a tight end, work over a crossing route over the middle of the field, looks lost a lot of the time. We saw what he was at Pittsburgh. We saw what he was, obviously, in Washington. As a great locker room guy, I mean, I remember when I was with the team, he's someone that's extremely always positive, a leader in the locker room, someone that young guys look to, as someone that was the green dot for his years in Washington, making calls and relaying, relaying them to the first and third levels of the defense. But he just right now is just more of that, I know who John Bostic is, so let's just bring him in as a body because we don't know anybody else right now. I would have rather gone with somebody that maybe has a little bit more of a prowess in coverage, maybe a younger guy with some fresh legs. You know what John Bostic, again, you know what you're going to get from him. Maybe that would, that's what makes Del Rio and Rivera feel comfortable. They know what they're going to get. But if Bostic is that third guy, that third linebacker on the field, usually that's in sub and usually that's on passing downs where he has to get out and work in space. And if you're talking about early downs, that means he's taking snaps away from Davis and Holcomb unless they want to put John Bostic as an outside linebacker. And in that case, we got questions. I know we've tinkered with Cole Holcomb at, at the mic this summer, but need you guys also understand that the Mike linebacker spot is a dying breed in the NFL. It is. There are no the days of, of Brian Urlacher and, and London Fletcher and Ray Lewis. Those days are are few. You know, those players are few and far between in today's NFL. You got you just you got to be able to, to claw gaps in the run and, and get out in coverage and, and play outside of that tackle box. You have to be able to do that. Um, I'm not sure if John Bostic is able to do that, especially if he comes on the field as that third linebacker on long down and distance situations, or if they just want to run with three linebackers on the field like they've done in the past when Bostic was in town. But we will see. We will see. There's a lot of questions still with this roster. I know this pod kind of is a little bit longer one for you guys than usual. We try to stay to that 30-minute threshold to get it in, get out, um, get in quick hitting news. But obviously that final 53 is one of the bigger days of the offseason for Washington. We're just a few short days, it almost feels like, from Washington Square and off at FedEx Field with the Jacksonville Jaguars next week. Going to have a full uh, preview of the Jaguars roster, how they match up against Washington, um, and looking forward into week one, which is right around the corner. So that's going to do it for today's podcast. Always appreciate you guys tuning in. If you don't already, follow me on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler. All my written work, again, is housed at thedraftnetwork.com. You can see all the scouting reports that I mentioned about Tariq Castro-Fields from last year, and all the reports that we have players moving into the 2023 NFL draft that we'll be soon be talking about here on the pod in the next few months as Washington moves down the line, their 2022 slate. But as always, appreciate you guys tuning in. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, 
Always appreciate your reviews, your shares, your comments, your likes, all the banter, positive and negative on Twitter. I always like talking ball with you guys. There's never any hard feelings on there. Um, I know you guys are pumped about the Burgundy and Gold campaign, as am I. It's just a few short days away from a kickoff at FedEx Field. The reunion, Brandon Sheriff is back in town. The reunion of Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson. We're going to get in to all that next week. But for now, always appreciate you guys tuning in. Thank you again. I'm Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.